Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the South Bay Show, South Bay Spotlight, on January 17th, 2019. Live, love, laugh, and leave a legacy. That's what we do here in the South Bay of Los Angeles, and it's a beautiful place to do just that. The South Bay Show is brought to you by the Academy of Foreign Languages. If you have any interest in learning a new language or brushing up on existing language skills, you should know about the Academy of Foreign Languages. Located in Palos Verdes, the Academy of Foreign Languages specializes in the art of communication. Their mission is to provide the finest language instruction possible. They recognize that each student has distinctive needs and craft their teaching technique to optimize an individual's particular learning skills. At the Academy of Foreign Languages, they strive to create a comfortable environment conducive to learning. So whether you're learning a new language or would simply like to converse in your native tongue, the Academy of Foreign Languages can accommodate you. For additional information, visit their website at academyofforeignlanguages.com, that's all spelled out, or call 310-975-4133. I'm your host, Joe Terry, and you can read all about our many adventures on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The South Bay Show. Persistence, passion, principle, and purpose, that's what we talk about here on The South Bay Show. And of course, I'm not alone because of our great partnership with South Bay by Jackie.com and executive producer of The South Bay Show, Jackie Balestra. Hey, Jackie, how are you doing today? I'm staying high and dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jackie, I I read something about your husband and his work and it has changed. Do you talk about that or do you want to talk about that? Um, it's amazing. Well, I po- I posted it to social media, so um, you know, uh uh it, it's out there. I don't want to talk about it now, but it's out there. It's good. It's exciting yeah. news, so it, I'd it's rather very talk about exciting. The, I'd rather talk about the rain. <laughs> it's it's been epic the last few days, hasn't it? It it's been biblical. It's been biblical. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, yesterday I was contemplating maybe it's time to start building an ark, uh, or in my case, maybe a raft. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I'll tell you, you know, we need it. You know, so we're, we never complain about the rain, but I got to tell you I, all week long, I have so enjoyed running around town in my boots and my raincoat. Uh, and it's so funny because I, I enjoy being out in the rain, you know, because we don't get it. You know, it's so exciting to me. It's so funny when I speak to my family back East, you know, I have a conference call, with my mom and my sisters every week. And I was, I, I Monday night, I was telling them about the rain, and they were like, boy, you sure do get excited about the rain. I'm like, we don't get it often here. I mean, I know it's causing a lot of problems uh, in the burn areas. You know, we've got the mudslides, and um, because we don't get it very often, uh, people, you know, aren't familiar with driving in the rain. So there's been a ton of accidents and stuff, but uh, boy, do I enjoy it. I'm really enjoying it. I mean, we, we, we don't have any problems at our home. We don't have any leaks. We don't have any flooding or anything. Mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people are mm-hmm. dealing with that. That's that's the thing about the rain. You know, we don't get it for such long periods, and then all of a sudden it does, and 
people and, and mm-hmm. people get leaks and people have little flooding issues and stuff. But uh, as I said, we need it so desperately. So uh, I, I, mm-hmm. I enjoy it. And, and it's so funny because I have this great yellow, it's a, it's a bright yellow raincoat. And mm-hmm. every, every time I wear it, you know, I'm in the stores, I'm in the bank, I'm in the dry cleaners, wherever I'm going around town. And, and people are just like, wow, for a rainy day, you know, it's bright. It makes people smile. And, right. and it's so funny, 99% of the time it's women that will say something. But yesterday I was in Trader Joe's and I was, uh, as I was checking out, the guy at the register was like, does that coat keep you waterproof? I'm like, yeah, it is waterproof. He's like, wow, that's really nice. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> r- rainy days can be, can be conducive to fashion. So right. anyway, yeah. Okay. Just, you know, just a word, to, you know, everybody be safe out there. Dr- drive slower. You know, make sure you have your headlights on. Um, you know, just 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 take a little extra caution. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, you know, <laughs> do not uh, speed up, slow down <laughs> when it's raining. I don't understand yeah. it, but there's a lot of uh, people that do not understand how to drive in the rain, and it's amazing how how the accidents multiply. Uh, the first hard rain that we have, but oh well, that's what we do, we have here well, in Southern well, California. Well, yeah, well, the first hard rain of the season, a lot of it is because of the oil. You know, pe- people end up skidding, <laughs> you know, because the, the oil gets loosened up, you know, all the oil on the road and stuff. Uh-huh. But, I mean, uh-huh. I, I'm pretty sure all that oil is pretty washed away now with all the rain we've had. But, geez, whatever you do, yeah. if you come across a yeah. body of sanding water, don't drive into it, all right? Don't, don't yeah. think you can go yeah. through it. Be careful, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, I'm excited. Um, Another season uh, upon us. And, uh, of course, Martin Luther uh, King Jr. Day uh, Parade uh, is coming up, uh, which is a big uh, deal here in Southern California. I think it's one of the oldest uh, MLK Day parades in the country. And it's certainly one of the biggest and um, in honor of this day, Jackie, you've done <coughs> outstanding in, in programming this time. <laughs> I have, haven't I? I have. You have. You have. You you are a kingmaker. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't go that far. I Jackie, go that who's far. our guest today? Who's our guest today? I'm just a... I'm just a really good scheduler. Um, we yes. have a returning guest this morning, Marcus Goodlow, uh, PhD, a.k.a. our friend Goody, uh, a Compton native. Goody travels around the country mentoring students and educators, business professionals, athletes and entertainers, and faith communities on a range of issues, including cultural and interpersonal relationships, leadership, team and synergy, character formation, and faith. Goody is is an active volunteer at Wave Church and serves as teaching pastor at Park Park Crest Church in Long Beach. He has worked with several university sports programs and professional teams, including the Oakland Raiders and Green Bay Packers. Now, Goody serves on the Community Engagement Board for the Redonda Beach Police Department and works with community activists in an effort to foster better understanding on matters of fairness and justice with respect to the judicial system and cooperative policing. He is the author of Kingmaker, 
applying Dr. King, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s leadership lessons in working with athletes and entertainers, and co-author of Habits, Six Steps to the Art of Influence. Uh, now, just a really neat mention, in 2016, Dallas Baptist University established the Marcus Goody Goodloe Scholarship in his honor. So uh, this morning... In honor of the upcoming Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, which is this coming Monday, January 21st, we're going to discuss Goody's book, Kingmaker. Welcome back to the program, Goody, and Happy New Year. We're so glad you could join us this morning. Well, Happy New Year, Jackie and Joe. It's an honor to be with you, and Happy MLK Jr. Day to all your listeners. I'm honored. It's great to connect with you all again. Happy New Year. Thank you very much, Goody. It's good to have you back, and and it it is something that we pay lip service to every year uh, the the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. But but this time we wanted to really delve into what makes uh, the legacy uh, an ongoing you know sort of a, a national treasure, and we wanna we want to talk about that with you. And we could think of no one else. I'm sure uh, uh, Jackie was thrilled to be able to schedule you. Um, Let's start with something simple. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. Tell us just the general parameters for those people, those few people that may not know. Uh, birth, death. Give us, give us sort of a, a high level view of his life. Uh, obviously, uh, he uh, got a doctorate. He was a pastor in his father's church. Um, tell us a little bit about the man, uh, Doctor Martin. Sure, Luther King. sure. Well, again, honored to be with you, Joe and Jackie. Really, really a great honor. I, um, you know, I, as you know, I grew up in, in South Central LA in Compton, and a product, obviously, of, of that great city. I live in obviously Redondo now, but as best I can remember, since I was a young boy, I mean, able to read, I just, just remember being impacted by Dr. King's life, his writings, his, his speeches, and whatnot, and so really just took on a lot of the insights that he represented at an early age and kind of got to know him, you know, uh, posthumously. Mm -hmm. And so Dr. King was born, actually we just celebrated his official birthday is the 15th of January. He was born in 1929 in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a product of two generations of uh, Baptist preachers. You know, he Mm -hmm. left this earth on April 4th, 1968 by an assassin's bullet. And uh, in Memphis, uh, learned man, uh, finished high school at 16, uh, went to um, went to Morehouse College, also known as a Morehouse man. That's what we call a historically black college there and was really an academic standout, uh, went on from there to what we would call seminary. Although now my friends and I, we joke and call it cemetery because sometimes you go there and there's anything but life there. But he went to a place called Crozier <laughs> Seminary. <laughs> and then after that, went on to Boston U, got his Ph.D. Uh, from Boston University, I think at about 50, 55, I believe, there. And uh, really was had a number of different opportunities. He could have gone a number of different places, a number of different situations. But, mm-hmm. by the way, it was at, at, at there that he met his wife, Coretta Scott, uh, at the time, who was an accomplished a music student and really could have King could have gone on to the lecture circuit. He could have been in academia, a number of different routes he could have chosen and said he became a minister. And, and at the age of a uh, young age of uh, 27 years old, found himself leading 
our 26th found himself leaving the leaving leading the Montgomery bus boycott, and that really began the the sort of the, that was the genesis of his uh, career in terms of a uh, an advocate for issues of, of social justice. And so that's yeah. a little bit about him, and uh, yeah. just just an extraordinary human being. You know, accomplished wasn't a perfect man, had character flaws, yeah. uh, had aspects of his life that. That were definitely, um, uh, uh, you know, challenging a number of different ways. And so sometimes I tell people we have a tendency to magnify people's uh, accomplishments and reduce their flaws. Uh, but Dr. King was a man. He was a man of. of uh, he was a complicated man. He had uh, issues, you know, a great challenge in, in, internally, and oftentimes suffered from things like you and you and I suffered. You know, insecurity, fear, yeah. anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. wondering was was his footing sure, if you will. But uh, you know, but he achieved an extraordinary amount at the age of by the age of thirty nine when he left this earth. Just an extraordinary amount. Now that's that's the thing that I think helps young people get in touch with the King legacy the most when they understand that it's not just. A, a picture on the wall. It's not just, you know, oh, this guy was perfect. You could never measure up. He was a real person. And and as a real person, as you say, he had real flaws. Talk a little bit about that inflection point between, you know, being a pastor at his father's church and then the, the, the boycott was so egregious. It People were suffering so much. Talk a little bit about that and how he didn't really want to get involved. It was that's true. That's it, very true. It's always this way. But talk about that. Yeah, you know, serving one, you know, okay. under the shadows of of your father. Actually, King was born. Interesting little tidbit, Jackie and, and Joe. His actual name is Michael. He was born Michael. Hmm. Michael. Hmm. Uh, and uh, his uh, his father attended what is known as the Baptist War Alliance meeting, and uh, was really impacted by uh, uh, you know a Protestant forerunner by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, yep. And yeah, sure. yeah. And so he comes back and literally changes their names, you know, to to honor that uh, the great legacy of the you know of this uh, Protestant movement. And so that's a little in- interesting tidbat. tidbat. Okay, only I didn't know people... that. I didn't know oh, that. Okay. I had no idea. Joe, Joe, did you know that? No, I did not. And and that's that's great. Yeah. No idea. Father worked on I never, heard, never heard that. With everything yeah. written about or Michael King. Wow, interesting. Wow. Yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, anyway, what, so that, oh, go ahead. Did Did he play sports when he was young? Uh, yeah, but not, but not at a high level. I mean, again, he was, uh, you know, he did, you know, but he didn't play in college or anything like that. He was, uh, you know, he's an academic and definitely had those abilities and skills, you know, but, uh, he probably wasn't as well coordinated athlete as you, Joe. I mean, he just didn't have those skills. (laughs) He did some other things. He did some other things. But (laughs) the reluctant leader, but you touched upon you and Jackie touched upon the reluctant leader. You know, when he gets to Montgomery, he's sort of new on the scene. He left his father's church. He goes down to Montgomery, Alabama. And lo and behold, there's this issue of transportation and the ability to ride on public transportation and people not affording opportunities to ride and sit where they want to sit. And many of the ministers, along with 
other civic uh, leaders got to uh, city leaders got together and began to have discussions as to what they could do about it. And uh, really, historians, myself included, agree it was almost by default that Dr. King was tapped to lead. At that time, it was called the Montgomery. Uh, it was called the uh, Montgomery Improvement Association, which later became known as the Montgomery Bus Boycott. Uh, it was mm-hmm. basically plain, pretty straightforward. They, Coretta Scott King, as you know, was uh, was asked to give up her seat. When she didn't, she was arrested. She at that time worked uh, for the NAACP, and they got together, had a meeting, and said, "What are we going to do about it?" And I don't think people mm-hmm. can appreciate this, uh, Jackie Joe, but think about this: for the better part of a year and a couple months, mm. that people with regard to this boycott did not ride public transportation. Most of people, by the way, did not have cars, but those that did, they carpooled with little cars they had, rode bikes, they walked. There were some African-American taxi um, uh, companies, but for the most part, imagine, we're talking about that boycott happening in winter months. Imagine Mm -hmm. walking, hitching rides for the better part of a year and a couple of months. Just, just, just Mm -hmm. put that in. Being without your vehicle, without your car, going to work, going grocery shopping, going to church, going to little league kids games, you name it. And that was organized in in, in a way that really brought economic pressure on the city of Montgomery to to reconsider its policy. So it was pretty significant. And Dr. King shows up to a meeting. Before this mark, before this boycott happens, he runs. He 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 comes home from the initial meeting. Tells Coretta, "Hey, listen, there's a there's a meeting happening at the church, and they've asked me to kind of head things up in regard to this boycott. Mrs. Parks has been unjustly treated, and she says, okay, 'Okay, I'm, I'm I'm with you.' And he says, in his writings, you know, I go into my room, I say a prayer. He gets to the church, and literally, he's He's late because he can't not get in because it's hundreds of people lined up, and he had all of you know twenty minutes to jot down his thoughts, and it was from that moment that he really that was the the, the radical sort of change in his life and then eventually the country's life as well. Mm-hmm. So one thing like um, one one little thing one not little one thing like that just right. changed the course of the man's life and a lot of other people's, by the way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. For now, sure. My, For sure. In, in our family, uh, in Chicago, uh, you know, what we taught was to ourselves and through family and friends that, uh, uh, were still living in the South because my whole family came from New Orleans, uh, North, to live in my my father and his immediate siblings came north to Chicago. Uh, we were taught that uh, you know many, and and this is the, this is another thread too uh, that I'd love to talk to you about. You know, people say, sure. "Oh, uh, um, Rosa Parks was so brave. Why is it that black women are the ones that step up and and have to do these things? Why can't more black men?" step up several black men had stepped up and refused to move to the back of the bus after broken legs and broken arms and broken heads they were convinced that that wasn't a good strategy rosa parks refused 
and the immediate people around her and the police did not have the, the chops to abuse a woman like they had abused the men. And that's why yep. it, it, it turned into something where she could survive. But the men who had tried before to refuse to move to the back of the bus, many of them did not survive whole. So, you know, that whole – can you talk a little bit about that? There was that whole meme uh, that children get now when they think about the civil rights movement as they think, oh, Coretta – I mean, uh, uh, Rosa Parks, why didn't the black men step up? Many did and many died. You want to talk yeah, about that? No, good, <laughs> yeah, no, good point. And by the way, Coretta, uh, Rosa Parks wasn't the first who – you know, had right. refused to give up or see. There were others. Uh, there's right. an interesting story about a woman named Colvin, uh, Claudette Colvin, who nine months earlier, actually, uh, she was 15, 16 years old at the time. Uh, she, too, did not give up her seat and was arrested. But anyway, with regard to the, uh, you know, what your question, too, is, you know, really, I am a firm believer in, in the, the significance of, of providence and the significance of, you know, nothing being coincidental. And I, I am absolutely convinced that there, uh, the, there was the, the right moment at the right time ordained by the creator for Rosa Parks in that experience. But she, like King and so many others, stand on the shoulders of women and men who had gone before them. And at various points in life for various reasons, their act, actions, although no less a sacrificial, did not rise to the level of you know national uh, sort of recognition is that of the acts of, of Rosa Parks and so and she being a you know being on the staff of the NAACP I mean who better would know that uh, than her as well she was an act she was actively involved in the civil rights struggle and movement served on the on the local chapter and uh, there and whatnot so she would would not have been oblivious to the actions and. Uh, the heroic right. acts of people, right. women and men who came before uh, before her, and so there's an adage that says, you know, you know, if we're not if we don't learn our history, we're doomed to repeat it. And I think part of even our discussion mm-hmm. today is having an appreciation for not just people like Dr. King, but even people who you know came before him, and he was very much aware of that people who became before Rosa Parks, and rec- recognizing that um, we do indeed stand on the shoulders of women and men who've come before us to sort of uh, Blair, uh, uh, blaze these trails of justice and advocacy, uh, trails of generosity, mm-hmm. of compassion, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that's very important that you bring out that point worth noting. Yeah. Now, wh- wh- what was the genesis of Kingmaker? When did when give us oh, a yeah. little bit of 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 your history and Marcus Goodlow? Uh, Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and what led to this. Yeah, just real quick, you know, I think I had mentioned this to Jackie before, but start with the Kingmaker. You you mentioned that you, you jokingly when we started the show, Jackie was a Kingmaker, and Jackie, you kind of yeah. laughed it off. But but the term Kingmaker, as you know, goes back to times of Old English, but it's the idea of a person who has influence, power, and authority – doesn't necessarily have a position. So it's it, who's the person in the room that can make things happen. Give a nod, a gesture, a wink. It's the meeting before the meeting. It's the person who says, is she on board? Because if she's not, we can't advance this. Now, Dr. King never held a nationally recognized official position like – 
He wasn't a governor. He wasn't a senator. Obviously, he didn't run for president. All of the positions and titles we commonly associate with power, he never held one. Yet, he was a person of great influence. He was a kingmaker. He was someone whom you had to – like, for example, when, when Jack Kennedy was running for president coming into 1959, 50, 59 into 60, he knew that he needed to, to garnish the support of African Americans, particularly those in the North. He had little to no experience with, with people of color at the time. He did have some relationships. One of those relationships was with Harry Belafonte, who's someone I love to talk about a little bit about more in reference to Dr. King. But he basically had a conversation with Harry Belafonte, the actor, the singer, the activist who's still with us today, by the way. And he said, hey, no, you know, um, Jackie Robinson is not the person you should meet. He's a famous baseball player for, for, to break the color barrier with the, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Kennedy was trying mm-hmm. to jockey to position to meet this guy because he's like, oh, this is the official black person in America I need to talk to to kind of see if I can advance my campaign. And Belafonte told him, no, there's a young guy in the South named Martin King who you have to talk with. He had, he had not – necessarily heard of him, didn't recognize him as a national figure, stature, et cetera, et cetera. And that is an example of, hey, being a person that you may not recognize in a formal position, yet whose authority and influence is very significant. And so I've always resonated with that identity in King's life of being that person, some, something that was really palpable for me. Growing up in South Central, as you know, not a, a lot of heroes, but those that we had, they were you know, some were on ball fields, others were on stages doing creative acts. Some were in offices of, you know, holding offices. For me, my hero was Dr. King growing up. I remember mm-hmm. as a young mm-hmm. boy, I'm not kidding, falling to sleep, listening on my little cassette tape with my, with my little earphones, listening to speeches of Dr. King. At that time, you could actually send off to the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which is the organization that he served under, you could send off at that time and purchase these things called cassette tapes. I'm not sure what <laughs> cassette tapes are, but I know you, Joe, know. But you could purchase cassette that, that tapes. That sounds like a historical note. To... <laughs> cassette. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. And I would put a little money order in an envelope. Didn't have a checkbook. I would go to West, a little Western Union. I would get a money order. You could fill out a sheet. It had the listing of the speeches, remaining awake through a revolution, why I oppose the war in Vietnam, sleeping, a, a knock at midnight, I have a dream. These are all speeches you could get back then. I would get yeah. those tapes, yeah. and then I would fall asleep with them, just listening to them. And so I heard, even though I never met Dr. King, I knew him. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. that voice stayed with me. And then real quick, in terms of specifically Kingmaker – in my role as a pastor and a person who, you know, would, would work with people to help people find wholeness. You, you open the shows, talk about life, love, and laugh, and legacy, right. those type of things. As a person of faith, those things resonate with me, things that I've attempted to do with others in my life. What I find myself in places that I have served, whether Los Angeles or Dallas, sometimes those people I'm in front of would be people of influence in what I call affluence. What that means is what I tell people, we're all equal in essence. You know, God created us. I believe God created all of us equal, but we're not all equal in influence. 
mm-hmm. like Jackie, Joe, you guys have far more influence than I think the average person in the South Bay. You have a, you have a platform. People recognize you, your mm-hmm. name. Jackie, when you call, people respond. And so Dr. King recognized that. There were people in the movement who were committed, who were sacrificial, who were giving, whom he would describe as the ground crew. In fact, when he went off to Oslo to receive the Nobel Peace Prize, when he looked outside his plane that was taking off, he noticed the women and men that were loading his bags. And he thought to himself, that's a symbol of the movement. People whose names you will never know, yet whose contributions are no less significant. Having said that, there was a recognition that there were people of influence and affluence, people with means, with a name, with influence, who, who had a platform, who could help advance the civil rights movement. And so Kingmaker came about because of my work as a pastor, at working in, in, in contexts and communities where I'd be sitting across from someone who was on television or who was involved, who was a professional athlete, but yet they cared about these issues. And so what would right. it look like if they got involved, if they lent their voices? And so think about this real quick. Sixty years ago, King was a man ahead of his time because no one at that time had utilized and garnished the support of athletes and entertainers to the extent King had. Here we are mm. 55, 50-plus 50 years later from the time he left this earth, we see now the Bonos, the Taylor Swifts, the uh, the uh, John Legends, I mean, uh, who, people like that who are actively engaged in social political issues. And mm-hmm. you know, King, decades ago, saw, hey, listen, their voices matter. Marlon Brando, Charlton Heston, Josephine Baker, Joan Baez, Harry Belafonte, of course, Sammy Davis Jr., Charlton Heston, Elgin Baylor. Uh, mm-hmm. These were women and men who lent their earth a kit people who lent their voices and their money, Sidney Poitier, and their time, and in some uh-huh. instances risked their lives to help advance the civil rights movement. So that's a little bit about how Kingmaker came about. And I actually wrote dissertation, postgraduate dissertation, is entitled A Coalition of Conscience, an assessment, an assessment of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s leadership with athletes and entertainers. So I finished my degree in that study, in that field, in 2011. But who wants to read a dissertation, really? So what I did was <laughs> I, extracted, I extracted 10 leadership insights from my dissertation and my work in studying Dr. King's life and his leadership with athletes and entertainers. And then I wrote the book called Kingmaker, mm-hmm. and it says applying Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s leadership lessons in working with athletes and entertainers. And so – uh, that book is practically a practical sort of how-to in conversation. It tells some of the stories that I've shared with you. It's written in kind of parable mm. form, but it mm. gives 10 basic principles or examples of what I call powers in which you, me, Jackie, we all can use to help advance causes that are help uh, move our, our nation forward, our world forward in terms of issues of generosity yeah. and Sacrifice all right, and okay. service. All right. That's a good segue. We're going to get into that. First, we're going to do a really quick commercial uh, station break. And when we come yeah. back, I want to go there. We may not get through all 10, so maybe you could pick the top ones. And uh, okay. so let's do that. Let's do, let's do that. Absolutely. Gotcha. Let's do that. 
and ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the South Bay Show. We are blessed here in the South Bay of Los Angeles to be, uh, 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 we're just awash with uh, talent uh, and uh, awash with water in the recent rain. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're so thrilled to have uh, 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 Goody here with us, Marcus Goodlow, and, uh, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, the, the principles uh, from Kingmaker. Before, Kingmaker. Before yeah. we get to that, I just wanted to mention something. I don't know if one of you mentioned it earlier, but um, you know, I was a child of the '60s. All right, and mm-hmm. I remember growing up when you would in your house in your friends' homes, there would be photographs on the walls of Martin Luther King, John Kennedy, Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, when you were growing up, you had that, right? Didn't you? You go into your friends' houses and, and who? Absolutely. You know, Whatever their culture was, like my Puerto Rican friends had their heroes, my black friends had their heroes, you know, my Irish yeah. friends had their, you know, the Italians, and and, and, right. and everybody had them. Everybody had them. They, they right. were in a place of honor in everybody's home, in, in our case, apartments, you know. Uh, right. Nobody does that anymore. That's funny it's you, you mentioned it because I, I was a um, little tidbit nugget. The monument that's erected in Washington, D.C. was in large part funded by – spearheaded by Alpha Phi Alpha, which is Dr. King's fraternity. But people may not know, one of the significant driving forces behind that financially and otherwise was a guy named Tommy Hilfiger, as in Tommy really? Hilfiger. Mm-hmm. Tommy Hilfiger's dad was somebody he admired, looked up to his dad. He remembers as a young boy looking on a wall in his living room, and his father said, son – you see those photos right there on their wall? Those two men, the first was that of John Kennedy. The other was Martin Luther King. He said, those are good men. And Tommy Hilfiger remembers the, that story of his daddy assailing the contributions and the, the sacrifice of these men who at that time had left this earth. And he said, never forget that. Tommy Hilfiger, years later, we're talking at the dedication service and then even before then, as he's on the platform, tells the story of how his father instilled in him that there were people that were just good people. And so he wanted to use his resources and his influence to help bring to bear that monument. I was there the day they unveiled it, along with President Obama and others. The entire King family was there, the remaining children. It was a great day. But Tommy Hilfiger was on the platform along with, you know, James Taylor, Stevie Wonder, others who were there as well. Mm-hmm. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's a little tidbit. When you said the photos on the wall, I thought about that immediately. So, that, You see, again, Joe, it goes back to every time we do the show, we learn something new. I didn't know that. I had no idea right. that Tommy Hilfiger right. was involved in that. Yeah. Yeah, so and I appreciate that going to your nearest Macy's. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And also, I want to remind people that Kingmaker by Marcus Goodlow is available at Amazon. So if you want the Kindle version or the paperback, you can get it from Amazon very easily. uh, And hopefully uh, you have free shipping or whatever, but uh, it's available at Amazon. Thank you, sir. That's very kind of you. There you go. Yeah. Well, um, it's, it's, that's, that's the, uh, the world's bookstore as, uh, as Jeff Bezos uh, yep. uh, imagined. <laughs> so uh, there you go. Now, 
let's talk about the the, the principles. Uh, sure. You say the ten powers. Give us give us an overview yep. of the ten really quickly, and then we'll go into them. Sure. Real quickly. So I talk about these powers or points of influence, and I list them real quickly. The power of Sankofa, African proverb means to look back. The power of request, the power of communication, the power of alignment. In other words, getting things in order. The power of knowledge, power of commitment is six. The power of money, the power of risk, taking risks, eight. The power of creativity and the power to dream. Uh, to dream. And just uh, highlight a couple of those. I know we don't have time for all of them, but the mm. power of Sankofa. Sankofa is an African term which literally means back to reach back or to get or to look back or to go back. Sankofa, S-A-N-K-O-F-A, Sankofa. There's an image of – it's an image of a bird – whose feet are planted forward, but whose face is looking back. The power of Sankofa simply means this. We have a tendency to, 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 to forget our past, and then thus that affects our future. Our past informs our future. And so one of the challenges, one of the things that King often confronted was, listen, in order for us to address the issues of our day, in order to advance the nation forward, we have to appreciate what has taken place in times past, aspects of injustice, what has taken place with regard to the formulation of our nation. So when King talks about the Bill of Rights, the United States Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, something that was written in our past, he's saying, listen, I've come to make good on what we what, as a nation promised to do for all of its people. So Sankofa. The power hmm. of Sankofa. Another one is the power of uh, request. The power of request. All of us, me, you, Joe, Jackie, we've all been reluctant to ask people to do things for us out of fear, of rejection, embarrassment, what have you. We get that. But I do know you two cannot be as successful as you been, have been without the willingness to ask others for help. The power of request. Dr. King did that. At 27 years old, the Montgomery bus boycott is now ended. It's successful. He flies to New York for a fundraiser. In New York, he reaches out to an entertainer who was also an activist by the name of Harry Belafonte. And they meet in the basement of the Absinia Baptist Church. Belafonte initially says, I was reluctant to meet with him, but I knew who he was. Why? He says, you know, because I had known what preachers were known for. It was anything but causes of justice but he said mm -hmm. these words there was something about this young man from galilee so he kind of uses the biblical terms that i had to see for myself this young prophet he sits down with dr king in the basement of a church dr king looks across from him and says harry i know you care about the things i care about i know you're actively involved in these issues as well i have no idea where this movement is headed but i do know this i need your help the power of request. And so what I tell people when I teach these principles, business, faith communities, organizations like police departments, I say, what dreams are you sacrificing because of your unwillingness to ask others for help? The power of request. If you could do it on your own, you're dreaming too small. 
Dr. Mm-hmm. King said this movement, this confrontation with he, with our nation's conscience is so significant that I need others' help. Coalition of, con- uh, coalition of conscience, people, black, white, rich, poor, <laughs> Jews, people of color, et cetera, et cetera. So the power of St. Kofa, the power of request. I'll give you a couple more real quick. No Here's rush. No rush. The, we, got, we got time. No rush. Okay. Take your time. The, the power of knowledge. The power of knowledge. I mentioned that King was a learned man. Study Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Euripides, Rousseau, Locke, Du Bois, Lincoln, Rauschenbusch. He studied the Old Testament scriptures. He knew the stories of the Jewish people and their sacrifice and what they endured, not only you know, in Hitler's Third Reich in the 30s and 40s, but in the, even in times of Old Testament. And so what I tell young people, what I tell people who are leaders, I said, listen, knowledge is not simply the collection of information. It's the ability to gather that information and then apply it, which then is wisdom. And I say wisdom as an old a friend of mine used to say, wisdom is the ability to understand the relationship between cause and effect. So King hmm. had that knowledge, but he also had wisdom. And so I talk about the power of knowledge, insights, uh, gaining an appreciation and understanding. And so with Dr. King, he would go out of his way to inform. He would do television shows. He would write op-ed pieces. He would, se- he would send entertainers and athletes materials related to the upcoming rallies. Here's our budget. Here, here, here's our vision, our budget forecast for the next year. Here is the next, next struggle. Here is the information related to the march we're having. Why would he do that? Well, people have lives. They were doing other things. They were traveling, entertaining, playing on ball fields and on basketball courts. So what Dr. King did was he went out of his way to inform people, to get people the information so they could, what, make the right decisions about their involvement. And so he would do updates and reports, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll talk about the power of knowledge, utilizing things like media and social media, particularly. He, He was a master at using television, editorials, newspapers. And so he would go on these shows. He would write personal letters and correspondence, appealing to people, giving people information. He was just a master of that. Another one would be the power, the power of creativity. The power of creativity. Um, King would say, he would say, we must use time, our time creatively in the knowledge that it's always right. It's always ripe to do right. It's always ripe, R-I-P-E, to do right. And so King was constantly (laughs) aware of time. And so he was a, he was creative in how he used his time. There was a sense of urgency, but yet he was not hurried. There were times when he felt the movement needed a pause, an inflection of his voice, his presence. Mm-hmm. The Birmingham protest, 1963, that was all about timing and creatively so. Why? Well, when they wanted to boycott in, in, in Birmingham, well, around Easter. Why would you want to boycott businesses around Easter? Well, it's the, it's the second most financial uh, sort of in, impactful time of the year. And so he wanted to bring to bear the pressure economically on businesses. And so he was creative in the timing of that. He was creative in utilizing young people. And so when, when John Kennedy looks on television and sees not only Kings in jail in 63 in, 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 in Birmingham, 
but he sees young people going to jail. And so that was a significant turning point. Uh, so the power of creativity. Uh, here's another aspect of that. Money should never be a reason why you don't do something. It's just an opportunity to be creative in what you lack. And so King didn't have a lot of money. He was a preacher. Most of the mm-hmm. money initially from, for, the, for the civil rights movement came from his book royalties, when he had a couple books at the time, and his speaking fees. That was not sustainable. That was not sustainable. So what he did was he actually had a conversation with a guy named Billy Graham. You may have heard of him. <laughs> and Billy Graham told him, Michael, he called him – Billy Graham was one of the very few people that called King Michael, even, even, even though his name was changed. He said, Michael, at the rate you're going, you, it's not sustainable. And Billy mm-hmm. Graham talked to Michael King, Martin King, about the, about the way he was going about advancing the civil rights movement. They had some disagreements. King wanted Billy Graham to do more. Billy Graham would never hold a crusade, a segregated crusade, so we give him credit for that. One of the mm-hmm. gems that Graham told King was, hey, the motto I use for my rallies, for my evangelistic rallies, take a look at it. King met with his people, and what they discovered was this. Graham would come to a city six months in advance, three to six months at times. He would meet with local pastors. They then would talk about what was going to happen on the night of his, you know, his uh, evangelistic meetings, follow-up. They had this long list of things that would get these pastors on board. Hey, we're not here to take over your church. We actually want to turn these people back to your communities of faith. We, you know, we want to come and be of support to the So There was all of this. And Dr. King took the model that Graham used. He went from giving speeches in churches to holding rallies in arenas and stadiums. How was he able to do that? And then necessarily he wasn't always there because he utilized entertainers and athletes. So watch this. King couldn't be in two places at once. So he would say, hey, Marlon Brando, Sidney Poitier, Joan Baez, come to a concert, come to a rally, come to a voter registration event featuring Aretha Franklin. And they would sell tickets, a couple bucks, one or two bucks, three or four bucks. People would show up in these arenas, in these, you know, uh, auditoriums. And that was a way in which Dr. King would utilize to raise – Resources. So I talk about the power of creativity. So the power of uh, the power of request, the power of creativity, the power of knowledge. One more. The power of communication. You know, sort of like connected to the aspect of of knowledge. But King was a master at showing empathy, communicating people that empathy. Doris Kearns Goodwin, Ph.D. historian for Lyndon Johnson, she served under his cabinet but also is considered one of our leading historians in U.S. history, particularly political history. She says the number one quality a leader has to have is empathy. King had that in his, com- in, in his communication, in his ability to understand people. An example of that is as Dr. King is advancing the civil rights movement, he shows tremendous empathy and communicates that, like literally, like uh, Mahalia Jackson, the great gospel singer. She was someone who was often utilized on the road. She would sing before King would get up. She sang on the March on Washington in 1963. She sang when King left this earth when we laid him to rest in 1968. His favorite song was called Precious Lord. She sang that song. He would call upon her literally 
Sometimes when he was facing hardship and anxiety, King suffered from a nervous tick. He literally developed a tick that came as a result of his nerves just sometimes being fried. It was in his left eye. She would call him up, sing to him, serenade him on the phone. The power of commitment, the power of empathy. One time, King learned that Mahalia Jackson had a dental bill that was in dispute. She had had mm-hmm. some dental work with this guy to fix a wisdom tooth, kind of got crazy, ended up being a lot of money, but there was some disagreement about the amount of money. Dr. King picked up the phone, and do you know he, do you know he got involved in a dental dispute helping to bring resolution to the matter. Think, think about this for a moment. He's meeting with Pope Pius. He's meeting with President Johnson. He's meeting with Kennedy before that. He's traveling, talking to governors and senators and world leaders. This guy is, his name is literally known around the world. He's meeting with the family of Gandhi. He's going abroad to Africa. He picks up the phone and he, he gets involved in, to, in a dental Bill dispute to bring resolution on behalf mm-hmm. of a gospel singer? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Empathy. Empathy. The ability to Friendship. say, you know what? What can I do? Friendship, mm-hmm. relationship. Uh, you know, I tell people all the time, people who are employers, I say, hey, people don't quit jobs, they quit people. Mm-hmm. And the lack of leaders, the lack of employers, the lack of CEOs, the lack of leaders to show empathy to those that are are serving under them or alongside them, that's a huge Achilles heel. So these are some of the – but these t- principles are not relegated to our past. We can apply them in any context, military, government, business, education, faith, doesn't matter, the power of request, the power of commitment, the power of knowledge, the power of Sankofa, the power of creativity. These are all aspects that we see in King's life. The power of request. The power request. There was a student football player at USC. You may remember this, both of you, Joe and Jackie, several years ago, Hmm. about 10 years ago, was in the weight room. He was a star running back for SC. I don't want to call his name, but he was a star running back for SC. He goes to the bench press. Yes. The bench press by himself in the weight room. It slips from his hand, crushes his neck. Crushes his neck. Right. Many believe he was destined to play in the NFL. Well, by God's grace, he barely makes it uh, out of the hospital, off the operating table. His parents were distraught. This was, internet, this was national news. ESPN covered it. National News covered it. The, the strength coach, I believe, got fired. There was an internal investigation as to what happened. The parents sued the need- school, settled out of court. He, he goes, didn't think he needed his father. The, oh, that's right. 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 So – in, in the finding, they said coach was negligent, overall institutional lack of control, okay? Then the third thing they found was the student was negligent because he attempted to lift the weight without a what? Spotter. Spotter. The power I remember request. That. Hey, man, hey, bro, hey, sis, can you help me lift this weight? That's what King was asking Belafonte. Can you help me lift this weight? Hey, I'm launching a mm-hmm. South Bay radio show. Can you help me lift this weight? I'm trying to grow yeah. a business. Can you help me lift this weight? I'm trying to raise a team. Can you help me lift this weight? The power of request. The power of request. Most, ask. most of us are reluctant to ask for help because of pride, insecurity, fear of being rejected. But often say some of us are afraid 
because of what people, what if people say, yes, yes, I'll help you. And then that puts the onus on us to get our house in order to come correct because now we're asking someone else's time, someone else's money, someone else's passion to join our passion. And so I talk about the power of request. Uh, there's an old African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with others. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fantastic. That is a great introduction. Uh, and so how, how long, when did you finish Kingmaker? Oh, great. I finished Kingmaker. I wrote it, finished it in 2015, but then we right. just re-edited some stuff. And so the updated version, I want to say, came out in 17. So whatever your mm-hmm. viewer, listeners are getting now, it's the updated version. We went in and re-edited some things, but I finished it in 2015. I wrote it. I wrote it. I, my first lecture, having finished postgraduate school, was at Fuller Seminary. There was a guy by the name of Hawk June Lee. He's still there. He's a dear friend. I lectured for his class, having never met him. He is a king scholar himself. I sat across the table for him at the California Pizza Kitchen in Pasadena after my lecture. He looked across from me with tears in his eyes. We both were talking about Dr. King's life. He's a king scholar. He's a He studies the ethics of Dr. King. And one mm-hmm. of the things you would love to hear as an academic are these words what you have written about I've never heard when Mm. when Dr. Lee told me that I knew that but then he said Goody you have to write a book because no one's going to go get your dissertation you have to make this knowledge that you shared with my class accessible to us in everyday life and so here I was Joe Jackie I thought I was done dissertation done graduation done PhD took me six years done but he said, make me a commitment that you will write a book. And so Ha mm-hmm. Jun Lee, who I just lectured for two months ago, we're still friends. Mm-hmm. I tell people mm-hmm. whenever I talk about Kingmaker, I have to pay homage to Ha Jun Lee, professor of ethics and religious study on the life of Dr. King. He's at Fuller Seminary. He really was the genesis for me writing Kingmaker. And so what I did was I took the dissertation. I kind of extracted a lot of the heavy academic stuff and just basically welded it down to 10 principles. I kind of tell a little mm-hmm. bit of my story, tear, share some of these stories that I've shared with you about Dr. King and his life and interactions with people. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about, I talk about Kobe Bryant in my book. I talk about Taylor Swift. I talk about Bono in my book. I talk about George Bush in my book, W. Bush, because mm-hmm. I talk about in some instances, some ways that King's life became a roadmap in terms of how he acted with entertainers and athletes, his life became right. a roadmap for how we see people doing things today who are athletes, entertainers, political leaders, and how they're utilizing their platform to advance causes for good. Right. No, that's, that's uh, amazing and wonderful. So now I can't wait. When is the next book coming out? <laughs> working on it, <laughs> working on it. But I, I, you know, I wrote Habits, and I think we we visited about that before last time. Or co-wrote Habits. Yeah, that was came out seventeen. I'm working on my yeah. next book now, and we're excited about that. That's going to be hopefully we'll finish it by the end of this year. That's my goal. 
by the end of this year. Uh, but it's just been a, a, an amazing ride. I've taken the conversation of habits and Kingmaker literally around the country and in some instances around the world. And it's just been a mm-hmm. great joy. I'm so honored to get a chance to share insights from Kingmaker today with you, Jackie and Joe, and your listeners. I'm so honored. Uh, I've really you know, been impacted I, I, by <laughs> by this. Thank I have, you. I, I have to tell you, Joe, uh, again, going back to my scheduling expertise, you know, I can't think of a more appropriate topic or a better guest to educate us, you know, in, no. in honor of the upcoming Martin Luther Jr. You know, I, I mean, I learned so much today. Uh, with with what Goody shared with us, and by the way, Joe, I think we should replay this show on Monday. Um, I think oh, I think it's yeah. perfect. You you can schedule. Oh, you're so kind. On, Thank you. On Monday. Um, no, well, no, it, kindness has nothing to do with it. It's just good. <laughs> it's just a good. Thank you. It's a good informational educational program. It's it, you know it's 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 current events. You know it's it, Monday is the holiday. Um, yes, yeah, so we should definitely rerun this on Monday. Um, right. Boy, I, I, you know, I have to ask you, Goody, uh, when you were mentioning, you know, one of your mentors, the professor uh, on on uh, King's ethics. Um, do, when when you get together with other King uh, uh, experts, enthusiasts, like how often is it? Do you guys like ever surprise each other? Does somebody come out with? How often does that happen? Where you're sitting at a table with with a bunch of experts on a very specific topic, and, um, and somebody comes out and says something that nobody else knew. I mean, is, imagine, because, yeah, yeah. Imagine, imagine. I have a couple of favorite restaurants, and I follow your blog, so I know which some of yours. But imagine going to a restaurant that you frequent, looking at a menu and discovering that they've added something or, or when the waiter comes and they say our special for the evening and you know, you, you're kind of used to the menu and, and you kind of already settled in what you're going to get. And then they say, this is our special. And they talk to you about how uh, it's prepared and where, where the ingredients <laughs> are from or where the chef, it changes everything. Imagine that happening in academia around a table, around coffee over an email, imagining that happening, and then multiply that times ten. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, boy. There's nothing, oh, you boy. know, when, there are some Michael Jordans of King scholarship that I call. Hock Lee would be one of them. Nationally speaking, it would be Taylor Branch, a guy named Claiborne Carson. Uh, these would be people who are considered, you know, the sort of, and a guy named Louis Baldwin. These are people who I would consider like, the Michael Jordans of King Scholarship, and the but, rest but, of us, but, we're just happy to be on the team, but, you know. Uh, but, good, but, but Goody, but Goody, but Goody, you're ours. You're, oh, you're thank ours. you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you're, but you're but you're I, talk about, I, I talk about being a part of this cohort, this unique cohort, because the whole idea is, you know, you earn this degree, and what is it that you have become an expert in? And what I tell people, in all humility – is that no one knows the conversation with respect to Dr. King's leadership with athletes and entertainers better than me. This is what I spent five, I, five and a half, six years of my life doing specifically. I mean, I visited the King Center five, what, four or five times. I traveled to Carolina a time. I've sat with John Lewis. I mean, I mean, in, in, engaged him in a conversation, one of King's, you know, uh, contemporaries and protégés, if you will. And so, this is a conversation I have been in, you know, in, you know, entrenched in for a number of years, but I'm still learning new things. And I love sharing new nuggets with people. 
that people never even thought of or heard of or considered, like, you know, King had given the I Have a Dream speech four other times. (laughs) In fact, he wasn't supposed to give it on August 28th, 1963. It was all kind of impromptu. We know this now from various accounts. Uh, We just found video footage in the last two years. Uh, A guy uh, was in an attic, found a real, real film, and it's of King speaking in a high school gym, and he's given a refrain from his I Have a Dream speech. This is, this is months before he gave it in 63. In fact, members right. of King's team, basically they all agreed that that refrain was tired and he needed new, new material. And yeah. we know Boy, from wrong? Mahalia Jackson. <laughs> yeah, they were wrong. <laughs> Mahalia Jackson, who was the great gospel singer at the time, she called out, tell them about the dream, Martin. And we know from King's written text, he comes off the written text. And so when he launches into the refrain, despite these difficulties, I'm like, I still have a dream. Is a dream deeply rooted in America? All that, he's not looking at notes. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's mm-hmm. just, you know, those are some tidbits, uh, some back, background stories that we, we learn. I tell people about how uh, Harry Belafonte charted a plane from Hollywood. His assignment was get the entertainers, athletes there. He, they had a plane leave Los Angeles, and on that plane were celebrity figures. When they got to Washington, they just didn't attend the march. They met with members of Congress behind right. closed doors because the whole goal of the march was to advance the civil rights legislation. The march on Washington was 30-plus years in the making. A. Philip Randolph was the first visionary behind that march in 1941. So I tell mm-hmm. people – you know, Baynard Rustin was the genius behind the march. So I tell people there are all kind of insights about, you know, there was only one female to speak that day. Only one. You know, which is a tragedy, but only one female spoke. Rosa Parks, she was the only female to speak that day. Peter, Paul, and Mary does, did an impromptu uh, song of Blowing in the Wind. You know, uh, of course, Bob Dylan was there. You know, Sam right. Cooke, who heard that song Blowing in the Wind, was inspired to write a song that he felt spoke more to the African-American experience. And he wrote from hearing that song, change is going to come. That's how you, mm-hmm. that's when he wrote that song. Mm-hmm. So anyway, well, it, I could go, I could talk a, forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, an, it's an odd uh, uh, course of study. Uh, Joe, we got to wrap it up. We got to wrap yeah. it up. And I have to say, we're going to, we're going to replay this on Monday. And if you're hearing this on Monday, enjoy the day, remember the day, and uh, and share that with someone. Kingmaker, uh, Marcus Goodlow, author. You can find it on Amazon. Goody, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you so much, Joe. It's a blessing. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day, everybody. All right, all right, and uh, thank you, Jackie, and have a great Martin Luther King Jr. Day, everybody. Bye-bye now.